Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. How are you, Stacey? I'm doing well this morning. I'm in North Carolina, still sort of enjoying my summer break while I'm uh, aggregating and analyzing data from the annual HR System Survey. So how about you? Are you home this week, too? I'm home. I'm headed out this weekend to a user's conference in Colorado for a company called Instructure. And Instructure is bringing a really smart um, integration of learning and performance management to market. And so I'm going to go learn some more about that for a couple of days in Colorado. And then next week, I'm going to Google's next event because I am just fascinated by what the people at Google are thinking about our space. Very cool. And and you'll be bringing back all that information for us, right? Particularly from what's going on at Google, because I think everybody's kind of holding their breath to see what they're doing, right? Well, you, you, know, you know, they have a level of ambition about our space and the ability to invest in our space, unlike anybody else. Yeah. Absolutely unlike anybody else. But I'm learning about their desire to understand the job market is that they think of it in a way that's similar to the way they think about mapping the planet so that you've got a navigation thing, which is part of the answer is data. And everybody in our space is trying to make sense out of data. And part of the answer is to go out into the field and find out what people actually do for a living. And they've got a massive project do that. So so there will be at the bottom of the foundational part of Google's work is a clear picture of what people actually do as opposed to what the job description says or what the resume says. So like the mapping industry, they're going to turn the idea of jobs and skills and recruiting on its head a little bit then if they're able to do that, correct? Well, you know, so so another way of thinking about about Google's view is that that um, you, you know most of the things that I see there are a bunch of different categories of AI. Most of the things that I see are ways of optimizing small parts of the overall workflow. So, so in the example of managing bias using intelligent software, uh, the idea is generally to tightly constrain what you can do inside of a certain decision-making process and that that produces freedom from bias. The Google view is that all that stuff should be taken care of before you start. Yeah. That, that the search results you get should be clean enough so that you don't have to worry about bias being introduced in the system because that's been checked out in the search process and that it's the results that you start with that are managed rather than managing the results that you get. Um, and that is a powerful um, inversion of the way people think about the business. And so that's pretty exciting. I think so, yeah. And and if I understand it correctly, what you're thinking is Google's envisioning that it will basically be able to sell that underlying clean data uh, and the value of that clean data, uh, much like it sells everyone in the world the underlying value of a clean map that's been clearly, you know, tracked and, you know, pictured and outlined, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. So they're yeah. they're asking and answering the question, what are you actually searching for? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and looking to looking to combine things. So so I I have been telling people that I talk to who are building search functionality into their um, applications that that they want to think about. Um, um, putting Google in the place where they're investing money in search because they're just going to get outspent. Um, and Google is, Google has what I think is the fastest uptake of any new vendor in our space. They've got 3,000 employment websites under management that they, that they have uh, put their search tool in place for. And that that level of customer acquisition is unheard of in our space. Three thousand yeah. in two years. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what size those companies are. But I would agree that's a that's a pretty rapid number for how quickly since they've just recently rolled it out as of uh, late last year. Uh, what they were doing with all this. So yeah, this is um, uh, an an acquisition level that we generally only see for um, organizations that come on the on the sort of scale of just very, very small organizations. And I, and I don't think that's the case with Google. I think they've got some larger ones in there too, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. No, the, no, they have, they have real names involved in it because, uh, because hiring equals competitive advantage. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it's, it's, ast- it's astonishing to see. I can't wait to learn more. Yeah, sounds like you're going to have a busy week. We've we've had a busy week in the news cycle as well this week. So other companies who are trying to figure out how they either work with Google or are going to compete with Google are also investing money. We've got a a couple of of large organizations that have done acquisitions this week, including Workday and Ultimate. Um, And we've also seen some um, new uh, changes in uh, headquarters as well as um, investments in a couple of recruiting softwares called Goodwall um, for the LinkedIn for students and Spring Health, which is like a mental health technology system, about $6 million there. Um, and then if we have time today, I mean, you started out the, the morning talking about the idea of artificial intelligence. Is it going to be more like a utility or is it going to be more like uh, individual elements, or is there something in between, as we were talking about? Microsoft and Walmart are striking a five-year AI and cloud partnership. That's worth talking about in the in the sense of, of HR today. So so lots of stuff going on. Um, so it'll be interesting to take what you've got and connect it with all of this this week. So Yeah, that sounds like a battle of who's in charge of Seattle. <laughs> a little bit there, yes. <laughs> I would say so. Okay, <laughs> you got to so- wonder... So, so by the way, that was one of the best segues of all time. Wasn't um, it? I was, I was, yeah, I was, was sliding in there. <laughs> that was awesome. I almost didn't know notice it was so. <laughs> so Workday um, uh, acquired Stories.bi, and that's a that's a Stories.bi, as I understand it, is a. Um, an analytics package that um, has a focus on being able to tell, well, good stories. Um, um, what do you know about it? Um, you know, this is an interesting one. You know, I've had a couple conversations with Workday, and one of the things that I think that their product team has been very, very focused on 
is trying to um, ensure that their product is something that you can just sort of pick up and use, right? That's, that's a big, not just that it's user-friendly, right, but that it actually gives you the details you need to run your business effectively. And it does it in a way that feels natural and part of how you would get your information from, you know, the, the person if you went across to the next cube, right? And so I think this fits very well into their sort of, we want to fit our our technology and our data and our information into the work environment, and we want to make sure that the information you're getting back from our platform is um, user-friendly from the perspective of, I can pick it up and take it and do something with it. Um, Stories BI, um, it is an, uh, an analytics package. It is focusing on the idea of being able to do very natural language processing in a way that it comes back with information in sort of the, the general language you would you would tend to hear it um, from your coworkers, and it shows you information that would be valuable to you, like comparisons between last year and this year's data, um, even if you didn't ask for it. Now we've seen examples of this on stages at a lot of different events, but I and but most of the time that's pretty well choreographed. To have this actually happen, I think will be interesting to see if they can pair up what Workday does with the Stories BI tool. So, so this reminds me of um, ADP's cloud data product that that will um, tailor itself to you and deliver business insight that you can act on, sort of, sort of as the data manifests. Uh, is, is that is that what this is like to you? Have you seen that ADP thing? I, I haven't. I, I've heard about the eighty thing, but I haven't seen it working in action. But I think, yeah, this is very much. This is very. It, it, these tools need to know you and your business to do their jobs well, right? So they do tailor themselves to you. Um, but I also think they start out, at least, at, you know, what I know of the stories BI, they start out with sort of a standard package of these things are generally important in like retail, right? And so year over year is always important in retail. And so they, they, they start with a baseline and then they get to know you, which is pretty traditional with what we see with AI technology, right, is the idea that you have to train it. Um, the question is, how quickly does it train? And when it comes back with information, is it, does it feel like it has learned something, right? I think I think there's another thing here. It'll be fascinating to see what Workday does because they're so good at a range of things. The interface that is required for this kind of data is not like the interface that you get in other ways, right? The the standard interface um, philosophy in in Western culture is that the clearer the interface can be, the better off you are. Yeah. And generally speaking, what what um, um, intelligent software uh, offers is some ideas about probability, and so and so in order to use the interface effectively, you have to do some thinking, um, and at the same time, the interface, in order to be effective, has to make some sort of actual recommendation, uh, and that's a that means it's a whole new world for interface design, and I'm starting to see um, real shifts in the way that people think about what does the interface do. Yeah. I, I hope this is what, what the Stories BI acquisition does for Workday. Yeah, it, you know, the more and more I talk to organizations about interfaces, the more and more it becomes clear that, you know, if they're on the cutting edge of this, 
then what they're thinking about is not about how user how users navigate, right? Which generally is what we are, but how the information gets pushed out in ways that you don't even have to think about navigating, right? And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Well, but it's not just that. Like, like there's there's a I have an article coming out in HR Executive Magazine that's about how Greenhouse um, um, is working with their their interface so that they can give actionable decision making insight rather than than other things. And so, so it's a question of what's the right information to give. So almost uh, prioritizing what's on the screen. Yeah. Right, right. Because it's probabilistic information, it's tempting to think that what the user needs is a better understanding of how the probabilities are distributed. Yeah. So, so the 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 high headline is eighty percent likelihood that this is the right thing to do. The subtext of that is there's a distribution of probabilities, and it turns out that thirty percent of the time it's eighty percent right, and Ninety percent of the time, it's twenty percent, right? You know, yeah. and so you, you get this curve, and you get this complexity about the underlying statistics that just baffles people. <laughs> right? And so, so somehow you have to express that this is a probability um, that there's a range of things that are okay, and your action needs to be. Um, um, intelligent within that range of possibilities, and that's different than the number is six. Right. Yeah, yeah. Th this is. I think this is going to be tough, though. I mean, I mean, if you if you take a look at some of the examples of the stories that they're put, that this application has put out, they're pretty sure of. They're looking at historical data with the idea of here's what it should be telling you that you're missing, right? So, for example, they have examples here, like EMEA's region's growth is on decline for the last seven months with a total loss of 14 million, right? Uh, the largest drop in inbound traffic this week is in Germany, 80% of which is caused by our partner, Wizalia. Now, those seem to be pretty clear facts, right? Um, I think the question that you're talking about is the predictive side of this, what do you, or what do you do with that fact, right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The question is, what does what you just said mean? Not yeah. data. So, so if you wanted to year over year forecast, great, great. But, but the power of artificial intelligence is not to do slightly faster what you can do with a spreadsheet in your bed while you're half asleep. <laughs> the idea is. <laughs> produce some real value, and real value comes from being able to see around corners. Real value comes from knowing when you're at the threshold of something really interesting and that you've got some window of opportunity to make it go faster or make it go slower. Um, that's, that's, I think, where, where insight really happens. So, so knowing Knowing the kinds of things that are mentioned in this, well, that's interesting, but that's just a report. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it'll be, I think it depends. I mean, part of it is knowing what to put forward and when to put it forward, right? In other right. words, can you have an impact on it or is it just data that is here, right? Um, and also knowing what is something that would not normally rise to the top, right? So because of how the organization looks at data, this would be something that would be lost 
in the story elsewhere, that's probably valuable. And then also knowing what the options are for going forward. All of those are things to figure out where you sort of fit in the screen, right? Or in yep. the mechanism in which you're reporting. Yeah. So here's my segue for the day. Ultimate <laughs> software Ultimate software is proving a case that's sort of set forward by the workday acquisition. And mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is it's becoming really clear that in the top tier of HR platform providers, they're starting to take on personalities. Yes. Right? So <laughs> ultimate ultimate is acquiring people doc. People doc is essentially a case management um, and Case management is the missing element in a whole bunch of HR because case management allows you to count and monitor effectiveness by treating everything like a case. Um, And so bravo for ultimate software. And it's like they're headed in the exact opposite direction of Workday. They're (laughs) differentiating in really interesting ways that will start to be I think, the basis of acquisition for the future. Yeah. No, I, 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 on this one, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, you know, uh, Workday has pretty much said, yeah, case management, not really our space. They partner pretty aggressively with some of the case management systems out there, um, where Ultimate has basically said, we want to understand what's happening at this level. I, I think this is a, is a two-pronged purchase for them. One is that they realize the value of what's happening and how it fits into their culture of providing sort of an ecosystem that is um, sort of held together very tightly that um, where you can get the information you need all in one place. Um, But they're also, I think, looking at this as a little bit of an acquisition of international capabilities as well. So PeopleDoc is located um, uh, outside the U.S. um, and headquartered internationally with offices in France, Germany, and the UK, Finland, Netherlands, Canada. Um, And so I think they're looking at this as an opportunity to expand globally um, in sort of a a very conservative and measured way with um, uh, people that can help them figure out this international journey that they're going to be on here if they're expanding into larger organizations. But I think the bigger conversation here is, as you noted, that their perspective is that we want to focus on having that experience be part of the ultimate conversation, right? Right, right. No, it's it's a it's a exactly um, in line with everything that Ultimate's been doing over the last several years, and and it's exactly comp- a complementary opposite of what we're doing. Yep, exactly. Where they're focusing on sort of the underlying platforms, the technology. Ultimate is focusing very much on the direct experience that you're having with us um, and the relationship we have with our partners. These, I think, are very distinct conversations. Uh, We're also seeing that, you know, where organizations are headquartered is becoming a little bit of a, a an issue or or a, or a conversation that goes beyond just finances these days. Um, so, as I said, Ultimate is picking up more international capabilities with what they're doing with PeopleDoc. Um, we're also seeing a small HR tech company that um, has been sort of working in the mid-market small space for some time, Accentus. Um, Accentus accelerates. Um, they're an organization that does HR uh, technology as well as 
sort of HCM talent, mid-sized organization needs. And they've moved their headquarters from Silicon Valley to Minnesota um, in the Midwest. This was sort of an interesting uh, take on what's happening in the market these days. Now, part of this is because they've just brought in brand new leadership in the last 14 months, including a brand new CEO, Brian Provost, um, and their um, private equity firm that owns them has done a lot of investment in what uh, their growth and their plans for moving forward. Um, but they've decided that they're going to work out of the Minnesota area. So we are seeing more um, investments in the Midwest and technology here. Well, you, you know, Minneapolis uh, is where controlled data was located. Controlled data was a spinoff from IBM um, in the sort of, I believe, I believe the story is it was the result of antitrust hearings in the early 1970s because uh, IBM was, was such a big deal. In the um, Owned everything, yeah. <laughs> well, data was a primary manufacturer of computing devices and hard drives uh, for, for forever, and it created a, um, um, a really interesting technical ecosystem in Minneapolis, which is also home to the University of Minnesota, which is famous for all of its HR-related IO psychology stuff. Um, that's a technical term, stuff. A technical uh, term, stuff, yeah. <laughs> and so, so it's a very cool place to locate it. But they make this, you know, this press release, they make it sound like we're being hyper-innovative by moving to the Midwest. And, and in truth, what they're doing is they're returning to the ground that probably made Summit Equity Partners, which is probably named after Summit Avenue in St. Paul. They made, their, they made their money, the state made its money on the first wave of technical innovation that happened there. Ceridian happened there, and Ceridian is the um, oldest HR tech company, right? And so, and so, so this, is, this is a return to the roots as much as it, as it is a return to the Midwest. All right. We'll see. Historical perspective makes the difference here. But I do think it's interesting that we're seeing sort of a conversation about the Midwest and, you know, revitalizing HR technology and technology in general in many of these areas. Um, personally, as a girl from the Midwest, I'm hoping this trend continues. It will be, I think, a nice thing to see uh, technology spread across um, outside of just the East and West Coast market. So um, that's just a uh, hope from my perspective. I think you're right. I think if, if you look, the, the secondary technical markets have become driving regional growth engines. And, yeah. and so, so while technology increases in influence, it, it's starting to look like the Silicon Valley grip on technology is loosening a little bit. Just a bit, yeah. We're also seeing some other investments happen uh, this week in the HR tech space. So we got um, Goodwall. Um, now, I haven't seen the Goodwall product, but it is a student and graduate professional network which aims to connect young people with college and employment opportunities. Uh, <clears throat> basically, they consider themselves sort of the LinkedIn for students, they say, but they received $10.8 million to expand their application. Now, this round was led by Randstad Innovation Funds. So that gives you a little bit of idea of sort of um, sort of who their um, client and audience is a bit. So Randstad um, is the um, sort of 
much larger firms sort of focusing on uh, contingent workforces as well and and uh, continuing to invest in their market. Uh, this, I think, is a space where we're seeing a lot of investment these days, which is in the student sort of technology that goes beyond just universities and accessing students from the university level. Um, have you had an opportunity to look at these applications before, this one particularly? I have I haven't seen Goodball. I can tell you that that my attention is grabbed by the fact that Randstad is investing. Randstad yeah. has um, developed an extraordinary eye for the next thing. That's um, it's. I've had some conversations with Randstad executives. I tend to think of them as a technical company, and they tend to think of themselves as anything but a technical company. <laughs> And so, so that's interesting. Um, this particular thing, when unemployment gets as low as it currently is, um, what happens is that is that employers start doing well. We need to know these people earlier in their lives. And so, yeah. so as a function of low unemployment, the um, Businesses start to try to track the evolution of um, their uh, potential future employees at earlier and earlier ages. That yeah. notion seems to me to run sharply into the uh, GDPR increasing privacy thing. So, so it'll it'll be fascinating to see how this evolves. Yeah, that that I think you know the, they specifically note here the funding will be used to grow the product to provide better features for the two demographics, high school and college students. And I know most of these applications focus primarily at the university level and the college students. But to have one that is focused on the high school level takes a different dialogue here. And I think you're right. You know, at the high school level, are you savvy enough about your personal profile conversations to know what? you should share and what you shouldn't share and how that should be managed appropriately. And I think most people would say probably, you know, our, our kids have been managing tech for their entire lives, but there is some conversation there about data privacy if you're starting that early with a, a relationship with the company, right? Yep. Yep. It, it, you, know, you know, the world is getting more capable at doing the things that the privacy regulations are going to try to inhibit, and, and that tension will produce all sorts of crazy stuff over the next yeah. several years. So this has been a great conversation, Stacey, as usual. Um, more news than we have time to cover. <laughs> yep. It's, it's been back to a busy week. Things are things are picking up again in the HR tech space. So if you if you were looking for a break, you had it last couple of weeks. We are heading into all of the conference seasons here. So uh, we'll have more information from you next week. It sounds like on your two conferences you'll be attending. Yep. So thanks for doing this as usual. And thanks everybody for listening in. You've been paying attention to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. It's been great having you along. Bye.